This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. One day later than usual, it's a Wednesday version of the Fenway Rundown. That is what tends to happen when the Red Sox are rained out and schedule a doubleheader that we have to cover for Tuesday. Became a long day at Fenway, so this mailbag edition is one day late. I'm Chris Cotillo along with Sean McAdam in the middle of covering perhaps the most meaningless Red Sox-Yankees series of all time, at least in recent memory. Uh, We'll get to a lot of reader and listener questions today via Twitter or X or whatever the hell they're calling it. Uh, We'll do that in a minute, but I want to start with my own question for Sean McAdam. Some rumors in the last week, some rumors in the last few days about uh, Theo Epstein potentially returning to Boston. Obviously, that has become a topic of conversation. Some comments by Jared Carabas on his show, Name Redacted. Some talk on 98.5. One of those things that uh, nothing concrete for sure, but something that de- people are definitely talking about. Sean, you know Theo very well, as we've chronicled on this show many times before. Um, what is your read on on that possibility, even separate of Bloom's job security, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point during the mailbag? Yeah, um, I, I don't see how it could happen, Chris. I, I, the, the one positive, the one, if you are a a Theo fan and looking for the slightest of possibilities that he might return, I would say that you can hang your hat on this small aspect, which would uh, perhaps be uh, a positive for him. And that is the fact that uh, unlike when he left, his longtime good friend, Sam Kennedy, is now the president and CEO and kind of the buffer that would exist between baseball operations and ownership. Sam and Theo have been close, close friends since childhood. They work together in San Diego. They work together here. They remain very close friends and talk all the time. Uh, That's the one positive that you could point to. However, I think those are more than canceled out by the fact that First, Theo would have very little to prove and really little to gain by coming back for a second act here. He already, uh, you know, erased the Red Sox 86-year title drought and won in 2004. And if that weren't impressive enough, he did it again three years later to win a second World Series title in 2007. So he's won twice here already. His legacy is cemented not just in Red Sox history, but in baseball history since after he left the Red Sox, he also directed the Chicago Cubs, sort of the National League version of the Red Sox when it came to World Series futility. He uh, directed them to a championship. So he's won three world championships and he's done it in two of the most difficult places, arguably the most two difficult places to do it in the game. How do you top that by coming back? Uh, And it just... You know, there, there's there's not a lot of challenge here for Theo. He's already won here twice. Uh, and while he would further, uh, you know, uh, enhance his legacy, I guess, if he were to come back and pull this team out of the doldrums from the last few years and get them to another World Series, my sense is that Theo has other aspirations and challenges on his list. 
I believe at some point he will head up an expansion team, uh, be the president of the organization and build it in his own image and how he wants from the ground up and really cement and put his uh, footprints on another franchise. I think that will be the last thing that he wants to conquer in the game. Uh, and thirdly, um, he was not uh, getting along very well with ownership when he was here the last time. It could be argued that in the 12 years since Theo left, that the behavior and accountability on the part of ownership has only worsened. And it is not certainly any better than it was. It could be argued that it was worse than when he left after 2011. So while there is that one positive, the uh, the promotion and elevation of his close friend, Sam Kennedy, into uh, the number one management position on the team, I think that's more than negated by all the other factors I noted. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and that is... Um... You know, obviously informed based on how well you know Theo and the rest of the players involved in the situation. For me, I think um, it just seems like it would be a panic move by the Red Sox at a time where I don't really think they need to panic. I think they're in a pretty good spot as an organization. I know they're a game above 500 and in last place as we have this conversation, but the core is emerging. They have money to spend. It, it's a it's heading in the right direction, I think, inarguably. And um, it's not time for a panic move like that in my mind. We'll move on to some reader questions now because that's the whole point of a mailbag. Dave McCarthy at Dave G. McCarthy asks, I'm pleasantly surprised with Justin Turner's performance on and off the field this year. What are the odds of him returning and what would his market value be? My answer to that, and I know we've talked about it a little bit just because of the defense and some of the things that um, have plagued the Red Sox this year. He's been really important to this team. He's been, they wouldn't be, you know, a game above 500 and they wouldn't have been in it for most of the year without Justin Turner. I think he's been, you know, at times the most important member of this team. As time goes on, it looks more and more to me like he's going to depart. I just think that um, the value he provides is going to be apparent to a lot of other teams, a lot of other teams that could use that veteran presence. Obviously, the DH is a thing in both leagues now. Anybody could use him. Um, and the Red Sox are probably going to want to cycle some other guys through that dh spot we talked about yoshida as a dh uh, tristan costas getting him off his feet so he's not playing you know 162 at first base devers the same type of thing um <clears throat> one surprise i think this year was you know when they signed turner i wrote kind of my analysis of the, at the time was this is going to allow devers to not really play as much at third and that really hasn't been the case it's been a handful of games but but not really um, where he's he's been the DH, and, and we've seen him struggling at times. So, you know, Yoshida, uh, maybe if Duvall comes back, some of these other guys, uh, they're going to have a lot of position players in the mix. And I just think that that, you know, mixed with maybe some kind of on-the-rise team going out and trying to get Turner for two years with an option or trying to really, like, you know, get this guy and pay a premium for his leadership, I just could see the Red Sox deciding you know it was a great year he gave us everything we could have asked for he's been great in the clubhouse and community it's kind of been the heart and soul of this team but just the way they're going moving forward I think it might make sense to move on uh, I'm going to differ a little bit with you Chris uh, while I certainly think that the well DH then you're wrong DH slash defense questions are valid ones I've brought them up myself and written about them um, uh, here's the issue if you let Justin Turner go 
then you have very little right-handed power in that lineup going forward. And I mean, I, you're, uh, it's counting on a big bounce back for Trevor Story for sure. Yeah, um, but even then, I don't think Story, uh, even at the top of his game, is necessarily a feared bat. I, I think he's a complete player. I think we've seen how much he can mean to this team defensively. He's an excellent base runner and good base stealer, and he's a solid part of that lineup. I just don't think he's necessarily a guy that uh, that other teams game plan for, and I think they need one of those hitters in the lineup, preferably right-handed, to give some protection to Rafael Devers. Um, there, there are problems bringing him back, and and the redundancy in terms of defense um, is one of them. But when you look at what he's meant in the clubhouse, how much he has enjoyed his Boston experience, and the fact that okay, let's say they let him go or don't re-sign him. Where does that impact right-handed bat go? It almost has to be the DH spot. And how many people are you going to get who would better fill that than Turner? He's acclimated himself quickly. He's become, as you noted, a clubhouse leader, a very important guy in that room. The, the uh, clubhouse right. leader, for sure. No, the, right. no, the, no, the, no the question. Um I, I don't think they can afford to let him go. The problem is, as you hinted, it's probably going to take a two-year commitment that I would think would be at least $30 million for two, probably more than that, maybe closer to 35. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of money to sink to a 39 and then 40-year-old DH. Maybe they get creative in terms of an option year. Um, I, I'm not sure they can afford to let him go. And by all accounts, Turner has loved his experience here, which is a little surprising. A guy who was so closely associated with another franchise in the other league, all, excuse me, all the way across the country. And yet he's acclimated himself so well here so quickly. I think he wants to come back and it would be a tough thing PR wise to not make sure that that happens. Yeah, I see all those points. I just think roster-wise, a tough fit. That'll definitely be something to monitor as, as we go on in the story here in the last couple of weeks as well. Next one comes from Andrew Meehan. Tom Warner said in January, Chris Sale has to perform at the level we expect him to. If they expected an ace, that did not happen. Where will the Red Sox slot him in in 2024? Is he a mid-rotation guy? Is he a number four or five starter? Between his no-trade clause, his salary, and the Red Sox lack of arms, a trade seems doubtful. Sean, where do you, how are you looking at Chris Sale as we, you know, turn twenty twenty three into twenty twenty four here? Well, I I think maybe I was too optimistic in thinking that Chris Sale could, in time, pick up where he was in May when he came back from his second yep. IL stint, and Me that too. certainly has not happened. He has got a, I think, a mid five ERA since returning in August. They expected more. They didn't get that. Maybe it was too much to ask to have him come back on such a brief rehab assignment and he needs another offseason to fully get ready physically. And then maybe next year they can get what they got in May before he went down in early June. But they can hardly count on that, given his injury history, given his age, given all the things that you have to factor in here. Um, I, there's a Whether or not there's a no-trade clause in that deal – uh, he has 10-5 rights, so he effectively has a no-trade. Um, could the Red Sox shop him? Could they take back half the money? Uh, take more uh, than that, I think. Well, it, it, as long as you're not expecting anything in return, I think yeah. if you 
if you take back half the money, you could probably find somebody to take them for, you know, a no name bottom of the uh, of the organization prospect. Um, I, I don't know if they're going to do that unless they feel that his presence is a distraction. I don't get the sense that they feel that. Mm-hmm. So my guess is he returns and they have to keep their expectations in check, which is to say anything you get from Chris Sale in 2024 should be looked upon as a bonus and he cannot be counted on to deliver anything of significance. You have to almost assume that he isn't here. And then if he delivers something, then, you know, then you're ahead of the game. Yeah. I mean, it's so much of a sunk cost already, right? That that's just kind of how they have to look at it. And I've argued on here before and you agreed before he came back, you know, may show that the ceiling can still be really high for this guy. Um, and I think August, September can show you that the, the floor is still pretty low. So, um, it's, it's a shame. I think, you know, we never root for the team. We don't root for, you know, success, uh, because, you know, the wins and losses matter a lot less to us as people who cover the team than the good stories. But Chris Sale is a guy that's easy to root for, um, just because of the way that he, um, has kind of, you know, conducted himself, how candid he is and how much he cares, so I think it's a shame that it's come to this point, but with a year left, you know, the Red Sox, as you said, can't count on much. And I think, you know, they're under that understanding. And I think as they look to kind of shape the staff, I don't think Chris Sale has a lot of bearing on how they shape the staff, uh, you know, as much as he might have heading into this year. You know, you know, you have Bayo, you know, you have Crawford probably as a back end option and Houck and Whitlock and wherever you slot them in. Um, and some of these, uh, you know, other guys, I just think you, you get to look at it and be like, well, you know, Sale is there technically, but he's not to be counted on for really anything. And, and that I think is a shame. Next question um, comes from Brian Palm. How big do the Red Sox go with Japanese players? Otani would be great, but I'd love uh, Yamamoto with them not having to lose to draft picks. Add Blake Snell or, great idea here, sell half the farm for Zach Gallen and you solve those pitching problems in a hurry. I'm uh, sorry, whose Twitter account did this come from? Yeah, Brian Palm, uh, who I don't know if he has any association at with. At Cotillo Burner NC. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I as I've said many times, uh, knew Zach Gallen in college and it would be a nightmare for the rest of the beat if he um, ended up in Boston. But I don't think the Diamondbacks are going to trade him anytime soon as he's established himself as uh, cost-controlled and very uh, one of the best I mean, pitchers it, in it, baseball. It would result in the Red Sox having to clean out the top end of their farm system. Right. You know, we have to give up uh, two premier prospects, if not three, and uh, we don't see them doing that. Yeah, um, no, that's for sure. Uh, so, I'm sorry, we got sidelined with the gallon, oh, uh, the Japanese uh, market. Yep. Yeah, I, I see them being pretty aggressive on Yamamoto, but uh, it's going to cost them. Uh, you know, he may well be the most uh, in-demand pitcher on the free agent market, whether it be Japanese or North American. Um, there is now a steady parade of uh, GMs and baseball executives traveling to Japan to watch him firsthand. Brian Cashman of the Yankees was there last week. Is Theo um, gone yet? Uh, I I don't know. Oh. Uh Jed Hoyer from the Cubs is planning to be there soon. And I think we saw mention that there were more than 20 teams uh, present for his most recent start. So um, that tells you he's going to be hugely in demand. As you said, the fact that there's no draft pick here, the fact that the posting 
uh, fee does not apply to your uh, payroll. Um, there, there's a lot to like about this, but it is going to be a very expensive investment. It would seem that he's now going to get, uh, I would expect, $200 million, maybe more. Uh, do they want to go that high? Um, you know, they, they went 140 on story. That's been the high water mark during the Bloom administration when it comes to big spending. If we're not talking about Devers, I'm talking about players outside the organization. I think they'll be aggressive. I think they know that they have uh, something of an advantage with his former teammate Yoshida here. They also have a track record of being a place where Japanese pitchers have come and had success. Uh, whether it be Koji, whether it be Daisuke Matsuzaka, uh, they have the infrastructure and the, everything in place to make Japanese players feel comfortable. I think all that um, is in their favor, but let's face it, this is going to come down to dollars and cents. And are they going to be willing to outspend the likes of the Yankees and who knows, maybe the Dodgers, the Dodgers pitching staff is in disarray now with some injuries uh with guys missing time um so they could be very well aggressive particularly if they don't land otani who even if they do land won't be able to pitch next year so we, we can see i mean th this is going to be the battle of the heavy hitters and it's going to take an aggressive red sox bid to get him but i think they will i i, I think they'll be in it to the end whether they get him or not i don't think anybody can, can predict right now yeah, uh, all good thoughts there. I do want to interrupt. It's uh, you need to check your email immediately. We just received an email from Major League Baseball that ALCS and World Series media credential applications are now available. So, uh, okay, well, as the supervising reporter, I'll not get right on that since yeah. they're not going to be of much use to us. Well, once the Red Sox rip off eighteen in a row here, however many they have left, and um, get in there, we will regret. You know ignoring that email we have about three questions on jaron duran um so i'll kind of combine them into one they're from jason stalikas non nando the rando now it's everybody on twitter's a rando so it doesn't really narrow it down that much and also um one other here let's see i want to give everybody the credit where credit's due uh the rc reggio 2893 uh, a lot of talk, uh, and Reggie puts it in a, an interesting way, a lot of talk about second baseman, but no mention at all about Duran there. Didn't he play there in the minors? Uh, some talk, some questions about, you know, if Rafael is going to take over in center, then Duran moving back to second, and then a question about potentially trading Duran um, over the offseason. I will I know it looks like a crowded picture in the outfield right now um, with all the guys they have and Duvall seeming like a fit to come back, though he's been horrendous the last few days. Um, I just think that a Verdugo trade, and I know we beat this drum and we beat a dead horse all the time on here talking about this, but it's just a story and it's real. I think a Verdugo trade is so exceedingly likely that that kind of, um, that unclogs the log jam in, in a lot of ways. And you can figure it out from there, whether it be, you know, Yoshida in left, Rafaela in center, Duran in right, you moved Rafaela to right field. Um, you know, I know Abreu's played pretty well here and in, in a limited sample size. Maybe you have him on the roster. I know Ref Snyder's still there. Like they have a lot of talent in that group. And I think, you know, moving Verdugo potentially for pitching with a year left on his deal makes a lot of sense. Um in terms of second base, it's an interesting thought. I just think it's so long ago. Um, they view Duran as an outfielder and, and his speed plays out there, all that type of stuff. 
Yeah, I, and I remember too that um, Duran has a very different body than when he last played in the infield. He's bulked yeah. up quite a bit. I'm not sure. Just like that, me. That translates. Yeah, but he's bulked up on purpose and in the right spots. Wow. Um, so I, I don't know that he could necessarily make that transition back to the infield. Uh, it would require him going to, you would think, winter ball to at least get acclimated there again. I don't think that's something you could pick up in spring training and be expected to play every day six weeks later. Um, I, I think it's more likely, and I, I thought it was fascinating that Alex Cora, when I asked uh, on Tuesday whether there would be any shot of sending Rafaela to winter ball to play second base, uh, Cora said, if we send him, that's where he'll play. So it does suggest that they have discuss that um that scenario yep. where Rafaela moves to second base and that keeps Duran in the outfield whether it be center or right um I, I don't see Duran being an infield uh, solution I think if he's here um that you know he'll be either in center or right field the problem even though there's a lot of talent coming in both the Brayu and Rafaela in the outfield is, do you really want to go into next year presuming that it is a must-get-into-the-playoff season with two-thirds of your outfield being rookies? And one uh, being that, a year into his major league career? Right. Um, that, that's a lot to ask. But I, I would expect that the Duran moving to the infield ship has sailed and he will be in the outfield one way or the other. Yeah, and second base is interesting. They've kind of given over and over all these different guys chances to take the reins, dating back for the last couple of years to Christian Arroyo. That obviously didn't happen. Um, more recently, I think they looked at Urias as a guy, get him, see what he can do. You know, other than a couple of grand slams, he's not been great, especially offensively. Um, you know, obviously, I think there's some talent there. He's a non-tender candidate, I think, this offseason and, and see where it goes there. Um, Valdez, I think, is a guy who, especially defensively, um, needs some work. Reyes, they don't, they never envisioned as an everyday player. So there's options. I just think, you know, Rafaela as the second baseman who can play center, play short, kind of that Kike Hernandez role um, with more upside than uh, Kike had. And obviously, he showed some upside at times, especially late 21. Um, could could make the most sense, and you have some of those backup options. And when you have a guy like Rafaela, and we saw it, you know, with Hernandez over the last couple of years, when you have a guy that can play those spots, that saves you roster spots. And you know, you have a guy who can slot in late in the game anywhere, and it helps you know Alex Cora with his bench in a lot of different places. A couple more here. Um, we'll go to Summer of Jack Jackson. asks, who is the funniest player you each have covered, and can you share a great story about them? Uh, I need a second, so I'll put you on the spot. You have a, uh, as I like to point out, much, much longer Rolodex of possibilities than I do. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Dustin Pedroia as unquestionably the funniest. And uh, no, Jackson, I cannot, this being a family-oriented podcast, repeat 99.9% .9 of Pedroia's best bits. I will tell you that had, and I've said this before, had Terry Frank, well, now that Terry Francona is headed toward retirement, uh, he and Dustin Pedroia should take their show on the road, um, maybe go to Vegas and do a residency because the two of them together, trash talking at one another and hurling insults uh, with lots of expletives involved uh, remains some of the funniest material you'll ever see. Um, but it is a pay it would have to be a, a cable event uh, because the FCC would would uh, would not clear those two, but Pedroia 
unquestionably the funniest guy I've covered. I'm having trouble with it. Um, you know, I've covered only two playoff teams, so there hasn't been much laughter over the course of the five or six years that I've been on the beat. Um, I stick so by the Mitch. Might be the jinx. Yeah, well, um, I stick by the Mitch Moreland comment to the esteemed Matt Votor as one of the funniest quotes that have come up. And, and I think I've said it on the show before, but Matt doing a story about the Red Sox supporting the Bruins in the playoffs in 2019 went up to Mitch Moreland said, have you been following along? And Mitch and his you know, Mississippi twang said, I haven't at all back where I come from. The only ice we got is in our sweet tea. So I very much appreciated that quote an all timer. I think Chris sale is um, the he intensity. He can be hilarious. And also the intensity sometimes, I guess unintentionally can be hilarious one of my favorites of this year. And again, you said family show, so I'll self-edit and bleep myself a little bit, uh, repeating the quote. I asked him in Baltimore after he had kind of a rough outing against the Orioles at Camden Yards in April. And I asked him, what did, um, you know, you didn't strike out anybody in six innings today. What does that tell you about where your stuff is at this point of the year? Glaring at me, it tells me I effing suck. Just point blank, period. And sitting there nodding, you know, there's, there's like no 10... Pressure. Yeah, 10 seconds of silence. All right, Chris, thank you for uh, – thanks for that. We'll go with uh, one more here, um, in part because the audio is about to be ruined by the hurricane outside uh, hitting the window, which does not portend well for Red Sox playing the Yankees today. We'll do one more. Despite the small sample size, this is from at DJ Beef, as it always is. Despite the small sample size of at-bats from Abreu and Valdez, are they overperforming? It seems unlikely that Houston would give up two decent hitters for a rental in Vasquez. I always say when guys first come up to the majors, um, you know, pitchers don't have the full book on them yet, so always be a little bit careful. I know that can go both ways. You know, I do think they think there's a lot of potential in, in both players, and if and if um, Valdez's defense can come along, you know, they might have some contributors there. Um, remember, you know, the Astros were being very aggressive because they wanted to win a World Series, and the Astros thought both of those players were pretty good. So, so far, so good. I still think, you know, small sample size is right. Yeah, I think you have to be careful to read too much into what you see in September. Uh, I, I cite this bit of wisdom quite a bit, Chris. It's Jimmy Williams saying the two toughest months to evaluate a player at the big league level are April and September, meaning don't get too hopped up on what you you see in the first few weeks from a rookie mm -hmm. and don't fall in love with a guy who sets the world on fire in the final few weeks because you're playing mostly meaningless games. The atmosphere as, isn't as urgent and competitive. You're playing teams that are also trying to get the season over with. It's dangerous to read too much into it. That said, yeah. Rayu has shown uh, a real control of the strike zone, the ability to work counts. Um, he's a pretty good outfielder. He is a a, uh, a decent base runner. He, he's a fairly complete player. He's made it perhaps not, uh, perhaps not uh, done yet, perhaps not major league ready in terms of everyday contributions, but you can't help but feel impressed when you watch him. I'm less enthusiastic about Valdez, uh, primarily because of the defensive shortcomings. I'm not sure where you can hide him on the field. And frankly, given that this team has defensive issues all over the place, I'm not sure you want to try to, but Abreu, uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of in on, I think he could, I think he could be a pretty good player.
and if not here, then trade ships elsewhere. You know, we've we've talked about many times that, you know, to really get to the point where they want to be, they need to tr- package some prospects in a trade. Those are a couple of guys that, with some of the redundancies, might make sense. I lied. One last question. This is specific for, for you from at Lobster Bread. How long can Sean stay on X or Twitter before he throws his phone in disgust? Listen, um, I've I've made the journey for, uh, what, 14, 15 years now. Um, there are times when I want to throw my phone in disgust. I occasionally um, get a little short-tempered with people being dumb on Twitter, which is occasionally, um, but uh, usually it's in good fun. And I like uh, some of the give and take we have. And we appreciate, especially most of all, the questions that made up this mailbag. Uh, I don't think I'll be seeing you today as the rain keeps coming down, um, but we will be back on the Fenway Rundown Friday morning with a new show. This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.